Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Every story, every good story, has a moment of crisis. I I mean, think about it. Uh, Hamlet has to decide if he is going to avenge his brother's death and take over the throne. Uh, You have um, Captain Ahab in Moby Dick fighting against this whale that just keeps attacking him. Uh, I mean, dumb and dumber. They have to figure out how to get the briefcase to Aspen. Uh, And then you have movies like Milan, where Milan has to decide, is she going to let her dad, who's weak, go to war, or is she going to take his armor, cut her hair, and go and fight for her country? I mean, every good story has a moment of crisis. There's There's a moment where you're not sure how to proceed. You're not sure how the protagonist is going to conquer the giants that are in front of them. And you know what's interesting? Is that the very thing that makes for a good story also makes for a difficult life. I mean, think about it. It's those moments in stories that draw us in. But it's those moments in real life that tend to push us away. Uh, Those moments are the wind and the sails of a story, but in so many ways, they're the rug pulled out from our everyday life. See, today what we're going to do is we're going to explore a story in Daniel chapter 2. If you have your Bible, I want you to start turning there. It's a, a moment of crisis, a moment where Daniel's back is up against the wall. And we're going to see how Daniel responds to this crisis. Now, remember, if you weren't with us last week, I'd encourage you to go back and watch that message because it frames this series that we're doing in the book of Daniel that we're calling Distance Learning. But let me give you the the sort of the bird's eye view. In 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came and they took a number of uh, the people from Judah into exile in Babylon. They marched them 1,678 miles from their home and they chose these, um, the best of the best, to be trained and educated in the Babylonian courts in uh, the ways of magic and mathematics and language and culture. And Daniel and his three friends were chosen to be part of that group. In chapter one, we saw Daniel's prolific uh, resistance, his stand of faith. In verse 8 of chapter 1, it said that Daniel resolved in his heart not to defile himself. And it was his stake in the ground. I'm going to remember who I am while I'm living in exile in Babylon, is what Daniel said. But in chapter 2, we see this transition. Daniel's been trained. He's he's one of the quote-unquote magi or the magicians who are serving in the courts of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar, this bloodthirsty, ruthless king, has a dream. Now, it's not like the dreams that we may have heard of, right? Like, it's not Martin Luther King Jr.'s I have a dream speech, where one day my kids will be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. It's not like that. It's not like uh, JFK's dream that we would send people to the moon, that we would, and that launched our space program. 
not like that kind of a dream. It was a dream that haunted Nebuchadnezzar. So much so that he called for all the magicians and the sorcerers to come and to tell him what his dream meant. Only, only, he changed the script. He told them, not only do I want you to tell me what my dream means, but you need to go, without me telling you, figure out what my dream was. (laughs) Now, obviously, the magi are taken aback by this. They haven't had this kind of challenge before, and they don't know what to do with it. But not only that, not only did Nebuchadnezzar say, you have to tell me what my dream was and the interpretation, but he threw the gauntlet down. In verse 5, listen to what he said. Verse 5, chapter 2 of Daniel. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, or, or to the sorcerers and magicians, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Game on, right? If you don't tell me what this dream was and what this dream means, not only are you going to die, but your whole household is going to be wiped out. This, friends, is a moment of crisis. And they throw their hands up in the air. And in verse 10 and 11, we read their response. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Like, come on, Nebuchadnezzar, what you're asking is clearly impossible. And then listen to what they say next in verse 11. The thing that the king asks is difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So so here's what they're saying. King Nebuchadnezzar, this crisis moment, the only thing, the only thing that can move us forward is God. But God doesn't talk to us. Did you catch that? He doesn't dwell with human flesh. He doesn't interact with people. And indeed, in the ancient world, the goal of religion was to keep God off of people's backs, to keep him appeased, to keep him at a distance. And so there's this moment that's stirred up. Where are they going to go? And what are they going to do? It's a crisis. And a crisis is any situation, any situation where there isn't a clear resolution and it doesn't seem like there's any way out. So in this series, Distance Learning, where we're in this pandemic, worldwide pandemic, where we're trying to figure out how to navigate the uncertainty, anybody feel like it's a crisis moment? We, don't, we just don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. Any parents feel like that? Grandparents feel like that? Any, any business owners feel like that? But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Even when you don't know what to do, you always do something. <laughs> do, doing nothing is not an option. We always do something. And so when we get the phone call that the diagnosis comes back a certain way, a way that we didn't want, Um, Or when we have a series of doubts that just start stirring in our head. Or when we're thrust into a global pandemic. We always do something. Even though it's a crisis moment, we act in some way. Now, the Babylonians did. 
They turn to their magic. They, they turn to their sorcery. They turn to their religion. That word magic in the original language uh, literally means engraver. It would be somebody who charted the, um, the course and, and the way of the stars and would write it down. That word enchanter that's used is somebody who casts spells or interacts with the spirit world. That was one of the ways that the Babylonians tried to address this crisis moment. It's one of the ways that we do too. We, we, we sometimes turn to religion, right? And, and I'm using that in a term that's different than what I would call a faithful following of the way of Jesus. Religion is simply rote, ritual, way to keep God happy. We also have a new religion in the West, I think. It's called progress, right? If we can make enough progress, new, in, new innovations, artificial intelligence, right? If we can make enough progress, then we can outpace the crisis. It's our way of beating our chest and saying, we can, we can. But here's the truth of the matter, you guys, and we, we all know this. There will come a moment when we will be faced with the same exact thing Daniel is faced with, a crisis moment where we don't know what to do and we don't have any way forward. And maybe religion doesn't work, and maybe progress doesn't work. And just like the sorcerers, the magicians of this day, we may be tempted to turn to despair. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you, there is a better way. There is a better way. And there is an invitation in the midst of the crisis and in the midst of the chaos. Remember, crisis is the thing that makes for a great story, but it's something that makes for a difficult life. But you don't have to enter that difficulty alone. See, Daniel shows us the way forward. Look at this in verse 16. Look at what he says. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show him the, show the interpretation to the king. Now, I love this. Daniel asks for an appointment before he has an interpretation. That's a bold move of faith. And then listen to what he says in verse 17. It says, And then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And they told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed by the rest, with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. So notice this. This is right in the text. You can look at it. Verse 17. What does Daniel do when the crisis hits? He does two things. He turns to his friends and he seeks out his God. He turns to his friends and he seeks out his God. Two foundations that he's laid over the course of years in his life. He's cultivated deep, meaningful friendships And he has learned how to put his faith in God during difficult times. I love that prayer for Daniel is not his last resort. It's his first response. And here's what Daniel knew. And I want you to write this down. Here's what Daniel knew. That crisis presents a fresh opportunity to trust. I mean, think of all the things going on in our world right now. What if we sensed from God, this is a fresh opportunity, a new opportunity to trust me in different ways than you've ever trusted me before. And for followers of Jesus, crisis is actually the very ground upon which genuine, true trust or faith is built. 
Listen to the way that James, the brother of Jesus, put it in his letter to the churches. Here's what he said, and I'm reading from the message paraphrase. He said, consider it sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges, or I'd say crisis, come upon you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Did you catch what James said? He said, crisis does two things for you. Number one, it exposes what's really in your heart when it comes to faith and trust in God. It brings it out into the open. But the second thing it does is it refines our trust and our faith in God. It actually, crisis actually can move us forward. See, I think Daniel can say, when all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. A modern rendering of that great hymn might be, when life feels like a bust, remember, God is still worthy of your trust. It's something Daniel could sing. It's something Daniel would say. It's something Daniel lived in the midst of crisis. And here's the question, will we, will we? And in the next few minutes, I wanna teach you what Daniel knew so that you can live and we can live how Daniel lived. So in many ways, Daniel's going to serve as a guide for us as to what it looks like to see crisis as an opportunity for trust. And I want you to have your Bible open to Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 through 23, because as we'll see, those verses present an outline for the rest of the chapter, and I think it's what God would have us focus on today during our time. So beginning in verse 19, listen to what Daniel says. He says this, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the Lord, the God of heaven. Jump down to verse 22. He says this, He, speaking of God, reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. So here's what Daniel's doing. He's he's presenting this not so subtle contrast between his relationship with his God and the other magicians and sorcerers in the empire of Babylon. See, see, when their religion is needed most, it falls flat on, their, on its face. But Daniel has a re- relationship with the one, the true, and the living God. And this is a God who knows all, is surprised by nothing, has never been amazed, has never learned anything new, and who takes counsel from no one. This is Daniel's God, and this is your God. But see, here's the thing, here's the thing. All of that would be interesting and good, but not helpful if God didn't actually interact with us. But see, Daniel says, no, 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 it's not just that God knows, it's also that God reveals. And that word reveal is listed seven times in this chapter alone. That God is a revealing 
God. And I think there's an invitation for us in here. And it's an invitation to trust in the midst of crisis by turning to God for daily wisdom and for spiritual insight. Would you write that down? Turn to God for daily wisdom and spiritual insight. It's really interesting that this whole chapter is based around a dream. Did you know that God is still giving people dreams today? Um, in, in his great book, David Garrison, who's an author and Southern Baptist missionary, he goes and he recounts the ways that Muslims are coming to faith in Jesus all over the world. It's a great book called the, A Wind in the House of Islam. And he chronicles these movements of God. And in so many of these instances, God is drawing people to himself through dreams and through visions. I, I have some friends who are working with Muslim refugees in Turkey. They're coming from Syria. And they were working with this young girl that came up to them. And she said, I, I had a dream. Can you help me understand what it means? And they said, well, sure, tell us what the dream is. And she said, I was sitting in a classroom at a desk taking a test. And a man came in and he was glowing. And he said to me, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. And my friends went, uh, yeah, we can tell you what that means. Actually, let us just open to John chapter 14, verse 6. Those are the exact words that Jesus said to his disciples. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. In so many ways, they did the exact same thing Daniel did. Let, let us unearth, let us tell you what's going on in this vision, in this dream. So that is still happening in our day and our time today, but I think there's a few more layers for us as followers of Christ to turn to God for daily wisdom and spiritual insight. See, I think that we're living in a cultural moment where the church needs to regain its prophetic voice into what's going on in our day and our time. I think we need to be discerning of the times that we live in. I mean, Daniel, or sorry, Jesus uh, condemned the people of his generation saying in Matthew chapter 16, verse three, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. Now, now, listen, I'm not saying that we turn to God for some sort of QAnon, Gnostic, secret wisdom. I'm saying that we turn to him we turn to the Spirit, we turn to the Scriptures to learn how to live in our day and our time with effectiveness, with passion, and with substance that will sustain us when crisis hits. And in order to do that, we need to be people who the author of Hebrews says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Uh, discernment, to distinguish good from evil. I think as a church, as the church, 
we need to get better at doing that because we are living in a world that's just being bombarded by things that are evil that are being called good. I, I mean, even just this last week, this rise in controversy for this movie on Netflix called Cuties that elevates uh, uh, taking advantage of young girls and viewing them as sex objects. I mean, it's crazy. We, we need to be willing to speak out against these things. Exploitation of, of people, modern day slavery that's taking place around us, and even just the cultural narratives that we have embedded in our mind because we're around it so much. Things like uh, rugged individualism, right? Like, is this the way of the gospel? Is this the way of Jesus? The interesting thing to me is that if you keep reading in Daniel chapter 2, what you see is that Daniel's discernment leads to flourishing for all people, But I think there's moments where we need to see this on a societal level, like we just talked about, but also on a personal level. I mean, did you know when you get in an argument with a friend or a spouse, you have an opportunity, it's probably a crisis moment in that time, to pause and say, God, would you reveal to me how you want me to respond? In the middle of an argument, just to pause, Lord, show me your way, show me your heart. When things are going on in your neighborhood or your school or your workplace that run contrary to the way of the gospel, you have a chance to respond right then by praying, God, would you show me how, how to do this well? Even like Daniel, to gather friends around you to say, would you, let's pray about how to interact with this moment right now in a way that would honor God. See, Daniel immediately turns to God for wisdom for insight and for revelation. We need to be the kind of people that do the exact same thing. And one of the things I love about Daniel is that he doesn't place the revelation above the revealer, right? The revealer, God, is his ultimate goal, his ultimate pursuit, and his ultimate concern. The revelation is just simply outflow of the relationship that he has. But here's the second thing Daniel does in guiding us in how to be people who embrace crisis as an opportunity for trust. It says this, and Daniel answered in verse 20 and said, Blessed be the God, the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong all wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And here's the thing that we need to know when crisis hits. We need to know God's hand is guiding and God's plan is going. Would you write that down? God's hand is guiding and God's plan is going. And see what Daniel's seeing in this vision, in in this dream, is that God not only knows the future, but he's in full control of the future. That's what this vision is all about. So in this vision, we're going to see five phases of history that are being revealed to Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 through 33, read like this. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. 
This image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the image was of fine gold. In verse 38, we're going to see that the head of this image and that first portion of the vision is the kingdom of Babylon. And that kingdom reigned from 605 to 539 BC. If you want to write those dates down in your Bible, go for it. Second phase, its chest and arms of silver. So, so this picture, this vision is describing a person and each of, the fa- each of the phases of history are depicted in different portions of the body. So the chest and the arms of silver are the Medo-Persian Empire. It reigned from 539 to 331 BC. Its middle and thighs of bronze, this is the Grecian Empire, uh, led by Alexander the Great for a time. 331 to 168 BC. And its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. We're going to see that this fourth portion of the body is the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire ruled from 168 BC to 476 AD, a long rule and a long reign. And this idea of its feet partly of iron and partly of clay is this picture of it's going to seem really, really strong, but at some point it's going to be destroyed and dispersed and almost completely wiped out. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, wow, that's pretty specific. And indeed it was. So much so that there's this whole genre of scholarship called textual criticism. And those people read the book of Daniel and they say, well, Daniel could not have been written before the year 167 BC because, because it's so specific. And we'll see this again in visions that that Daniel has in chapter 7 and chapter 8 and beyond that give very specific timing of when things are going to happen. And they paint pictures of things that did happen. In my opinion, those scholars are, are tipping their hand. They're saying, well, God doesn't know the future. And God can't, because he doesn't know it, can't communicate the future to anyone. So this had to be written looking in hindsight rather than in 605 when Daniel's actually living. And to that, I would say, I I would say, no, God can do that. And God did do that. And he communicated to Daniel in this way to allow him to zoom up, to get a picture of the landscape of history and to be able to trust in that moment where he stood in the chaos of Babylon, in the crisis that was up against him. You're going to be torn limb from limb if you can't tell me what's going on. For him to be able to stand with his feet firmly on the ground, he had to be able to trust God's hand is guiding and God's plan is going. And that's exactly what this vision did. It gave him that confidence. Uh, my kids and I, like I've shared before, we love to go to the beach. And one of the things that my kids love to do is they love to build sandcastles. Now they've built dozens and dozens of sandcastles down at Solana Beach. If you went down there today, how many of them do you think you'd see? None, none. They're, They're all gone. They've all been wiped out by the waves. And in so many ways, Uh, God is revealing to Daniel the most powerful kingdoms you see around you, the most powerful kings you see, 
will not always be the powers. The powers that be will not always be the powers that God, for his divine purposes, will move kingdoms into areas of prominence and then move them out as he sees fit. It's part of his plan. It's part of the way that he is guiding. See, but when we talk about sovereignty, we just need to, for a moment, talk about what we're not talking about. What we're not meaning is that God is like uh, the grand puppeteer and we're simply marionettes on the end of a string. Where we don't like, have any say in our lives and our choices don't matter. That, that's absolutely not true. When we talk about sovereignty, here, here's what we're talking about and here's what we mean. God's sovereign control means that there are no accidents and his plans will never be thwarted. There are no accidents and his plans will never be thwarted. And that should give us great confidence in moments of crisis. That should give us great confidence when it feels like all around our soul gives way. He then can be our hope and stay. Now, let's explore what that looks like in our personal lives today. So, so in the midst of crisis, what does it look like to hold on to God's sovereignty and to apply it on a personal level? Let me give you three things, and, and I'd invite you to write these down if you're a note taker. First thing is this, sovereignty is an invitation to faith, not fatalism. Fatalism means we just sort of throw our hands up in the air and go, well, God's sovereign, so who cares? That is not the invitation for the person of faith. For the person of faith, we cling deeply in moments of hurt to the reality that God is present, that God is powerful, and that God is ultimately in control. Faith means that we are convinced that God can use even the darkest moments in our life to shine the brightness of his light into our hearts and through our lives. As the Apostle Paul will write in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things, all things, all things, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we don't deviate into fatalism. We cling to faith. The second thing we do is we trust God in the timing. One of the things that strikes me about this vision, which by the way, you can read more about in verses 37 through the end of the chapter. It's going to unpack it in a little bit more depth. One of the things about this vision is that God is in charge of the timing, the rise and the fall of empires, but he's also in charge of timing in Daniel's life. Daniel's people are going to be in exile for 70 years. And he's in charge of the timing in our lives too. One of the hardest things for me to do is wait, especially when it feels like crisis is at our door. To waiting is so difficult, but I think God does some of his best work in us while we are diligently waiting on him. As the apostle Peter would write, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient to you, not wishing that any should perish, but 
that all should reach repentance. Sometimes God's, uh, what feels like God's timing delays are actually an invitation for people to come to faith. Now, my guess is that there are some of you watching this who are in a season of waiting and it's really, really difficult and really, really challenging. But I want to call you, I want to invite you in the midst of waiting, whether it's on COVID or on a business or on a baby or on a health concern, to be a person who waits well. In the midst of crisis, see it as an opportunity to continue to trust. Third, so so we don't lean towards fatalism, we cling to faith. We trust God in the timing. And third, we live with a confidence that God has placed us exactly where he wants to. God has placed us intentionally. We are not where we are by accident. You are not where you are by accident. If God's hand is guiding and God's plan is going, he's got you. All the parents who are wrestling with distance learning, he's got you. The business owners wondering when this is going to let up, he's got you. He's got you. The grandparents who are wrestling because their kids or grandkids have walked away from the faith. He's got you. He's got you. He's got you. Yeah, see, uh, Daniel's vision, the vision that Nebuchadnezzar has and Daniel interprets is a vision of what God's sovereignty looks like on a macro level. But friends, as we walk through crisis, we need to apply it on a personal level too. And listen to the final thing that Daniel says in this prayer of blessing back to God. Verse 23, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you've given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. I give thanks and praise. I love this. Daniel's heart is coming through in this. His gratitude to God, his relationship with God. And before Nebuchadnezzar ever agrees to hear him, before he knows how Nebuchadnezzar is going to respond, in the midst of the fog, Daniel responds with praise. And so the third thing that I want to invite us to do, the first thing is we turn to God for daily wisdom and spiritual insight. Second thing, we trust that God's hand is guiding, God's plan is going. And in the midst of crisis, the third thing we do is we give God our unwavering worship during uncertain times. We give God our unwavering worship during uncertain times. Yep. see, in fact, the best thing you can do when your back is against the wall is to raise your hands in worship to give God the praise, to give God the glory, to give God the honor. And worship is a choice that we can make in the midst of crisis that will shape the way that we respond to the crisis in front of us. See, we can shake our fist at God or we can raise our hands in worship, but friends, we cannot do both. And please hear me, that doesn't mean that we can't express our anger, our frustration, our honest disappointment before God. That's not what it means at all. It just means that after we do that, we then take a posture of saying, God, I trust you. You've got to work and you've got to show up. Can I press on that a little bit though? I believe that there's so many of us, we've grown up in sort of a a Christian culture and we know that that's the right answer, right? We know, yeah, keep worshiping. But I think we confuse 
worshiping God, which is what Daniel does, with acknowledging God, which is what Nebuchadnezzar actually does. Listen to the way that he does this in verse 46, so towards the end of the chapter. It says, And then Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be made and offered up to him. Daniel lets this go. He doesn't address it right here. And it says, And then the king answered, and Daniel said, Truly, this is, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking to Daniel. He said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. I mean, at, at the onset, we think, well, Nebuchadnezzar's come to faith in Yahweh. He's a, he's a God-fearer, but we're going to find out later on that that's not true. He acknowledges God, but he doesn't worship God. And those are two different things. And I wonder which one of those is operating in your life right now. Is it, God, I acknowledge you. You're there. I get it. You created all this. I'm sure that that's all good. You're good, but I don't experience you in my life. I'll acknowledge you, but I won't worship you. Friends, I believe that we have to make a transition from acknowledging God to adoring God, to worshiping him. Uh, James will say, oh, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. I bet there are some who have made a profession of faith saying, yeah, Jesus, I trust you. But when life gets hard, what's on the inside of us actually comes out of us. And what's true is that we acknowledge God, but maybe we don't worship God. I want to invite you to something better. I want to invite you to something more. I want to invite you to a surrender that leads to intimacy and an intimacy that leads to transformation. Friends, I want to invite you to worship, just like Daniel does, to praise in the fog. I don't know if you remember, um, a few minutes ago, I told you that the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had was a five-fold vision, five things that were going to happen in history, and we only talked about four of them. Let me jump us back to verse 34 and read the fifth one. Here's the fifth one. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. You might want to underline that. And it struck the image on its feet. That image was the Roman Empire struck on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. You see what's happening. This final kingdom isn't created by human hands. It's actually a divine kingdom. It rises up within the Roman Empire. And then it slowly, over the course of time, wears that empire down and replaces it. And it goes to inhabit the entire earth. You might even say that this kingdom starts like a mustard seed and then grows into a large bush or, or starts like a little piece of yeast and then is woven throughout all of the dough. Yeah, the final kingdom is the kingdom of God. Listen to Daniel describe it in, verses, in verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom 
that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. God's kingdom will stand forever. And we have to remember that in the midst of crisis. We have to remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he said, And I tell you, you, Peter, are the rock, and on this rock, on you, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church. If you believe it, wherever you are, even in a coffee shop, say amen. This kingdom will never fail. Will you write this down? When crisis feels insurmountable, remember that God's kingdom is unshakable. God's kingdom is unshakable. Friends, I I recognize this is a really difficult season for our community of faith, for our community in Escondido and North County and California. And in so many ways, it feels like we're in this crisis moment. And we may not know exactly what to do. We we may not know exactly where to go. But can I just invite you to see this not only as a crisis, but also as an opportunity for a fresh expression of trust. Your God holds history and he certainly holds you. I don't know what you're walking through, but I do know who's holding you as you walk. So build your life on the unshakable king, on his immovable kingdom. In a world where it feels like things are crumbling around us, find the firm ground of the good news of Jesus. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death on your behalf. And his invitation is, will you build your life on me as I build my eternal kingdom in this world? three affirmations I want to leave you with, okay? Really quick. God, I need you. That's in this passage. This, everything else lets us go, lets us down. Not God. God, I need you. Second, God, I trust you. Did you say that today? Afresh? God, I trust you. In the midst of the pain and the confusion and the fog, I trust you. The crisis, I trust you. And finally, God, I worship you. God, I need you. God, I trust you. God, I worship you. That's Daniel 2. Let's apply it to our lives today. Let me close our service in a word of prayer. So Father, my prayer for our community and any people listening in would be that we would see this present crisis as an opportunity for fresh faith. So Lord, teach us what that looks like, to trust you and to walk with you, to be obedient to you. God, show us what it looks like to turn to you for wisdom. Show us what it looks like to trust that you're sovereign. And show us what it looks like to live lives of worship, even when it feels like the world's falling around us. God, we wanna be those kind of people. We wanna be Daniel 2 kinds of people. And we need you to show us how. Please, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for worship today. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. Would you be faithful in the midst of the chaos? God bless.
Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.